0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, get with your final Wednesday Night Wars edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back, and no, this is not an April Fool's joke. The way that scheduling just happens to work out for NXT, AEW, and the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. This will be the final time that we talk about NXT and AEW airing head-to-head on Wednesday night. Next week, NXT has TakeOver Stand and Deliver as part of WrestleMania week. So the Silver King will not be talking AEW throughout any show. Next week, we will do a double AEW episode The following week and in that following week, NXT will move to Tuesdays beginning April 13th. So this is the very last time we will talk about NXT and AEW as head-to-head competition. But we're still going to be talking about both programs. We have plenty to go over from NXT in its go-home show to take over Stand and Deliver. And we have a ton to talk about from AEW with multiple returns and some really interesting matches on what was a very good Episode of Dynamite on Wednesday night. It's just a reminder of how things are going to shake down here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, especially from an NXT standpoint. We will be talking about the Go Home episode ahead of Takeover Stand and Deliver on today's show, but we will have a separate NXT Takeover Stand and Deliver Ultimate Preview. It's a two-night show with an absolute ton of matches, and the Silver King later this week. We'll be speaking to none other an NXT cruiserweight champion, Santos Escobar, who is a favorite of this podcast. So we're going to package all of that together for a very special TakeOver Stand and Deliver Ultimate Preview episode that will be coming to your ear holes sooner than later. So keep a lookout for that. Keep a lookout for what will be an absolutely jam-packed week of professional wrestling content here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We have a special WWE interview episode coming up. We have a WrestleMania Ultimate Preview episode coming up. NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver Instant Analysis next week. A go-home show for WrestleMania 37 following SmackDown on Friday night and WrestleMania 37 Instant Analysis on Sunday as soon as night two is over. So we're talking about an overload of wrestling podcasting content coming your way. I hope all of you listen to it. Before we get into today's show, a little business to take care of. First, a reminder to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It's where we release every episode. We do Q&As. We do pre and post show polls so you guys can vote. And it is where you can slide into our DMs with questions that we will read live on this show. Of course, the other reminder is to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. It only helps us grow on Apple Podcasts, the more reviews we get, the more people listen to the show, then it's all gravy for your favorite wrestling podcast. As always, a reminder, do not forget that we timestamp all of these episodes, so if you are someone who only likes AEW, you can jump ahead to that. If you only like NXT, we're going to get into that right now, where we talk about a go-home show for TakeOver, Stand and Deliver, that was a bit uneven for me, as most go-home shows are for NXT takeover events. I just personally don't love that NXT keeps its biggest talent off of its go-home shows. I don't understand their decision-making and booking in that regard. Like I understand they were doing a prime target with Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly, but you don't have Finn Balor or uh, Karrion Cross actually live on the show. And when you're trying to promote a pay-per-view event, and you're not on a SmackDown that's Friday promoting it two days away, but you need people to get activated, to be sure to watch the show an entire week later, because TakeOver is starting on Wednesday and then airing on Thursday as well next week. You wanna give them a lot of juice. And in these NXT go-home shows, I just don't really feel that juice. So for me, the show was split into two parts. There were the promos that, you know, basically continued building some of the matches and then actually the in-ring live content that we got on the show. The promos and the video packages were exceptionally strong as they always are. The stuff we actually got that was live on TV, it kind of fell short for me and it didn't make me feel like Takeover Stand and Deliver was a show I absolutely have to see, even though the video packages accomplished all of that. So let's get into it, we'll talk about the entire show. We'll start with that prime target of Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly, again, We will be doing an ultimate preview where we break down every match in a separate episode coming up later. I'm not exactly sure what we're gonna do from a timing standpoint of that, uh, but just keep an eye out. I will be tweeting about when that show will be released. But the video package with Cole and O'Reilly, the prime target, it felt like a swan song for Cole more than anything else. His promo in a suit at a boardroom table. It was the main addition to the other clips that were part of the package, but it was really an incredible video package as it always is the when they do these prime targets sometimes they extend them they go 30 minutes and they do a special on wwe network here they went kind of short i i don't know how long it was it didn't feel like it was longer than five minutes and for a feud like cole o'reilly a match like this i thought it deserved a little bit more attention than it ultimately got Uh, it was disappointing like i said that the main eventers and for the two key matches especially this one were not on the go home show I can't stress how much it bothers me that NXT does this. Also, it feels like this match should have a stipulation beyond just being an unsanctioned match. We talked about a loser leaves NXT type of deal. It doesn't damper it necessarily, but it is surprising they've not put more at stake, especially when coming out of NXT last week, they showed Adam Cole punching William Regal. Well, if you're gonna go punch the GM, how is he not gonna go a step further and make this more than just an unsanctioned match. So for there not to be any follow-up on that, Regal not to say anything, for us not to see Cole or O'Reilly on the show, I felt it fell off a little bit. It was a little bit strange that they didn't go a little bit further with it. But again, the prime target was really good. And yes, we are pumped up for Cole versus O'Reilly in the unsanctioned match. Now the battle royal to determine the slotting for the gauntlet match on night one, which will determine the challenger for the North American Championship. That was the main event of of the go-home show for TakeOver. Pete Dunne confronted Kushida backstage saying he heard what Kushida said about being the best technical wrestler in the world, which has now ultimately set up that match for TakeOver. Leon Ruff sneak attacked Isaiah Swerve Scott before the match began. Dexter Loomis stood in the corner of the Battle Royal, motionless for the entire match while everyone fought. One thing that stood out seeing the Battle Royal is how much better... NXT's booking is just compared to like Raw, for example. There were five completely unrelated storylines all happening simultaneously in a 12 person match. And it's just really impressive that for all of those people, many of them are not actually gonna be on the takeover to have storylines ongoing with a pay-per-view you know, level event set to happen next week. And knowing that a lot of those storylines are gonna push past that pay-per-view, it was just really impressive. There was a great spot where Austin Theory got eliminated on his back but he did a kip-up, which eliminates himself because a kip-up, you land on your feet. So he looked like a stupid idiot, that that all honk, no brains type of character that he's been playing. I appreciated that. Kushida eliminated himself and Dunn while he had the hoverboard lock-in. That left the final six competitors and it also set up the kushida Dunn match that we're gonna get coming out of nowhere at TakeOver. I didn't think they needed to add two matches to TakeOver, just one, but they ended up adding two on the go-home show. Uh, Bronson Reed eliminated Swerve and Rough. So they will start the gauntlet match. Loomis finally came alive very late in the match to help eliminate Reed along with the heels. Grimes tried to pay off LA Knight and Loomis to eliminate themselves. So instead, uh, they both eliminated Grimes. Knight outsmarted Loomis by falling through the middle rope and pulling Loomis off the ring apron for the win. It was a great, really unique finish to a battle royal. I can't really remember seeing something like that before. And Knight getting the win was a good bounce back for him. From the loss last week, I still don't like the character necessarily, but in terms of him outsmarting his opponents, I did think it was unique and a pretty good showing for him in that match. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez against Zoe Stark was another match that was part of a very long women's storyline throughout the show. Io Shirai attacked Gonzalez backstage and screamed that she can't kill her, so Gonzalez bashed her head into a road case and took her out with ease before the match. Stark is really getting the Rockets trapped to her, man, with these high-profile matches. It's crazy. Every single time she's in the ring, she's a top-tier performer in NXT, and they have a great match. She got a ton of offense here, including a flying neckbreaker off the top for a near fall, and she got a lot of momentum as well until Gonzalez caught her with the choke bomb finisher for the win. It was over an hour into NXT, and to that point, I thought this match was the best thing that we had gotten on the show you know, more, like I said, more than 60 minutes in. Shirai attacked Gonzalez again after the match, but Gonzalez just destroyed her a second time, throwing her into the hockey glass and the barricade. Shirai attacked a third time while Gonzalez was being interviewed and Gonzalez literally put through Shirai through a damn wall, uh, which was an absolutely insane spot. Gonzalez yelled for her to stay down and stop attacking her. I just thought it was really weird booking to have the champion get destroyed three different times like that especially if she's ultimately gonna lose the title on the show. But it did feel like it was all being done for a reason. After the battle royal, Shirai came out really out of nowhere and cut a promo in Japanese just screaming at Gonzalez. Gonzalez followed, they brawled for a fourth time. The rest of the women's locker room came out and pulled them apart. And Shirai hit a springboard splash, which was a really impressive splash, I have to say, to take out about a dozen women outside. It was a bit much and it was mostly chaos for chaos sake. I always say this at the end of AEW go-home shows. They have a big brawl to get you to tune into the pay-per-view or tune into AEW the following week. Uh, So though it was a fantastic splash by Shirai at the end, and she was cool as hell in screaming at Gonzalez in her face as NXT went off the air, I do have to kind of stay consistent and maintain that chaos for chaos sake is not always good. And it was a lot of attacking segments with Shirai going after Gonzalez, For her to really not take her out, it was really just a splash, and she took out 12 women, not just Gonzalez. So I don't know if it changes my prediction for the match, but it it did feel like the booking isn't necessarily for Gonzalez to go over, but we will talk about what I think will happen in that match for our NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver Ultimate Preview, as I said, coming later. So with that, let's break down everything else that happened on NXT. The show opened with Roderick Strong and Cameron Grimes. Grimes did the Undisputed Era trademark gimmick again before the match. Strong was about to pin him and put him away when Grimes pulled a UE armband from his crotch and dropped it on the canvas, distracting Strong as he hit cave in for the win. This was reminiscent of Zelina Vega throwing a DIY shirt at Johnny Gargano at the end of his match with Andrade Cien Almas, except that was good. This kind of wasn't. It was good wrestling at parts in the match, but it was not a strong match, not a good opener to his show. And really, the storyline isn't that strong either. Uh, strong ignored an interviewer later when he was leaving the Capitol Wrestling Center. So it's happening, but I'm not particularly fond of it. Uh, there was a training vignette for Karrion Cross, who said he knew Finn Balor's game plan would be to tire him out, uh, but there was no running from Karrion Cross. They have made a really good change since his return of presenting Cross more as a badass brawler with a dark side as opposed to just a demonic guy. Balor cut a... nearly identical promo as the second half of this later in the show. They, but again, this is all they did to promote what they're advertising as the main event of night two. Two guys cutting 60 second promos taped, not even live. They just should be doing much more for this considering it's the damn main event. So I was disappointed. Uh, Walter cut a taped promo as part of a video package saying Tommaso Ciampa is a shell of his former self who has lost all of his passion. While nothing means more to Walter than what happens on the mat, very in character, Champa came back with a really passionate tape promo about chopping Walter's head off. And he said uh, he was experienced from having this long fall from grace previously. So he knows what it takes to take down Walter. Champa's promo totally sold the match and really got me amped up for it. So this was an example where it's not a main event feud. It's a big match on the show where the tape promos totally worked for the guys. But for bigger matches, you want more. You want more to chew on. And we didn't necessarily get it. Uh, Santos Escobar showed up and issued an open challenge to show off, I guess, for Jordan Devlin ahead of their ladder match at TakeOver Stand and Deliver. He cut a promo about being the emperor of Lucha Libre and the greatest cruiserweight champion ever. Uh, Tyler Breeze answered the challenge. Breeze, late in the match, put on a truly awful version of a sharpshooter, maybe one of the worst I've ever seen, and Escobar soon hit a phantom driver for the win. It was another mediocre segment and match. MSK made the post-match save for Breeze, and the Grizzled Young Veterans cut a promo on the big screen. None of it really resonated. We do know that match is happening, but is very little to actually promote a vacant tag team title match at a TakeOver event. I know they were trying to fit two nights of storylines into one show, but it just didn't do much for me. The Way was backstage incredible once again, with Johnny Gargano complaining about not knowing his TakeOver opponent. Austin Theory suggested he win the Battle Royal and and the Gauntlet match. Obviously, he didn't. So that they can do the finger poke of doom. And Gargano reminded him that killed the business. He also said that people say he killed the business. So why not? Let's just go ahead and make that the plan, right? It was a really funny backstage segment with the exception of no one being mic'd up well. So you could barely hear anything. I think Mackenzie Mitchell was the interviewer. It may have been the other person, but whoever it was, had one microphone and four people trying to talk. And she's trying to go back and forth, but she couldn't find any of them. They should have mic'd it up way better. A lot of nuance and funny lines were lost because of that. So it was a little bit of a missed opportunity. And again, a slow start through the first 45 minutes of the show. Uh, The Way, the female version of The Way, fought Gigi Dolan and Zyda Ramir. It was a short match, again, without much oomph to it. Dolan's teammate was a debuting 23-year-old who used to be known as AQA. Uh, She was trained by Booker T. She looked like she had something to her though. I gotta say, despite being very green, you could see the athleticism in the ring. Candice LeRae hit Wicked's stepsister and Indy Hartwell followed with a springboard elbow drop for the win. LeRae then challenged the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions. So remember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart came out on the tank, shot a missile, a Nerf missile uh, at them and officially accepted the match. So we knew that would come and it did happen. Tian Shaw fought Casey Cantazaro and Caden Carter in a tag team match. It was supposed to be a tag team match, but Xia Lee started on her own. Casey did an incredible 360 code breaker that I've never seen anyone do before. Carter went to find why the Tian Shaw leader, Mei Ying, by the way, Mei Ying, take off of Mei Young. I don't know if that's on purpose, but it feels like it is. Uh, Mei Ying, to find out why she wasn't fighting and got right in her face. So Mei Ying grabbed Carter's neck in a death grip, and Carter just passed out as smoke was blown in her face, which is not something they would have done a year ago, blowing air into someone else's face. Xia uh, then her, hit her version of Trouble in Paradise on Casey Cantanzaro for the win. My interest is starting to wane a little bit here because I want to see Ying wrestle. I want to see them do something with people other than the Casey's. And I also want to see Boa do something, like the guy just stands there and doesn't do anything. So I like the gimmick still, but it is starting to get tiresome and repetitive. Uh, There was also footage of a tiny dog running around the Performance Center that aired three times during the show before it said Frankie will debut on April 13th. I'm not sure if that's the name of the dog or the wrestler. Let's sincerely hope it's the name of the dog. Now, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. So if you want to skip ahead 30 seconds, you can. The spoiler being that I believe this is the entree for Taya Valkyrie to debut in NXT on April 13th, which is that first Tuesday show. Uh, coming out of TakeOver Stand and Deliver. So it's going to be great to see her. The women's division in NXT is awesome. But, uh, and and I got to say the vignettes were kind of funny with the dog just kind of walking around the performance center. But I am curious to see what her gimmick's going to be and exactly how they're going to debut her uh, presumably two weeks from now on April 13th. So that's NXT. Like I said, it was fine uh, as a go-home show is the best way I can explain it. Some of the promotion for TakeOver, the prime target, the stuff with Walter and Tommaso Ciampa, and the Gonzalez and Shirai battles. That was all good. It promoted the show well. But not enough happened. I would have much rather them just cut down the matches. There were two different women's tag team matches. You didn't really need the Tian Sha match at all. And the cruiserweight Santos Escobar-Tyler Breeze match, you didn't really need that. I, I would have been totally fine if... This was just a show that built toward TakeOver and they went really storyline heavy and had like one or two matches an hour and that was it. Instead, they tried to give a regular wrestling show and the wrestling portion of it outside of really that Raquel gonzalez Zoe Stark match, which was good. The wrestling on the rest of the show didn't do anything and it was more time wasted than anything else. So I did not think it was the best go-home show, a bit of a disappointment, but once again, we will have a full NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver Ultimate Preview coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Stay tuned for that. Now, before we move on to AEW, which is coming up momentarily, a reminder that promotional consideration for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience, Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and we have an exclusive offer for you, our listeners. 20% off plus free shipping with the code G-O-MAN at manscaped.com. This show, you guys know, it's all about meat, big meaty men, slapping meat, beef flying in the ring. Manscaped is all about protecting men's meat. They hooked us up with their perfect package, 3.0, including the best ball hair trimmer ever, the lawnmower 3.0. This trimmer features cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology. I can tell you, I have never used anything as well designed for the job as this. Also in that Perfect Package 3.0 are some products that will keep your balls dry and smelling fresh along with a couple gifts, including a super comfortable pair of high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs as well as a travel bag. It is time for you to trim your junk, get 20% off and free shipping with the code GOMAN at manscaped.com. Each purchase directly supports the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Do not forget that. It is the reason we are giving you 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Again, use code GOMAN. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Let's move over to AEW Dynamite, which I did think was a strong show. It was far better than last week. Definitely better than the week before as well. The strongest show that they've given us in a while. But the strength of the show for me, and I think I'm actually gonna disagree with a lot of people who have already seen giving takes about AEW. They loved the matches on the show. I thought the matches Wednesday night were okay. Some better than others, certainly. I loved the storytelling in two feuds in particular, both with multiple people. And it's that is where we're going to begin our talk about AEW Dynamite. The biggest thing for me, the thing I loved the most coming out of the show was the inner circle ambushing pinnacle in their hangout and both factions brawling backstage. It started with MJF comedically finding Chris Jericho and company in their bathroom. Sammy Guevara absolutely annihilated Sean Spears and slammed his head into a door. J.K. Hager put Wardler through a massage table. Santana and Ortiz kicked FTR's asses and Jericho shoved MJF's head into a toilet but for some reason didn't do a swirly. Like you have the guy's head in a toilet. Obviously it's partially comedy. Flush the damn thing. Like, I don't know why he didn't do that, but then he pulled him out of it and slammed him through that Pepsi machine, the refrigerator that has been in that locker room as Inner Circle reclaimed their space. It was the best segment for me on the entire show by a mile. Uh, Inner Circle regained some much needed edge that it had lost over the last few months. And it's now finally a full face faction which is really what we've wanted from them. They should have been heels and they debuted properly as heels, but you always want a heel faction to turn face eventually. And they did. It's been great. We've been waiting to see it. It was great action, great storytelling. Everything from top to bottom worked with the Inner Circle Pinnacle deal. And now I'm very excited to see what they do next week. I, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to watch it live. As I said, I'll probably do a double AEW episode the following week for this podcast. But if I was an AEW fan uh, who was going to be watching it next week instead of TakeOver, I would be really excited to see, you know, what is going to happen with Inner Circle when they talk for the first time after coming back clearly rejuvenated. The other thing I loved was everything with the Young Bucks and Don Callis. So Don Callis confronted them, but then he singled out Mac Jackson basically to put a guilt trip on him for leaving Kenny Omega hanging last week. He repeated the storyline um, as Omega laid it out last week. And Matt was emotionless. So Callis slapped him to try to get a reaction. Matt grabbed him and then did absolutely nothing. Callus called him pathetic and human garbage. And I just continue to be a big fan of this as well. And I remain curious to see how it's all going to progress. Callus was particularly good in the backstage segment. So moving on with this storyline, uh, Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers fought the Lucha Bros and Laredo Kid, just naming who is in this match, you knew it was going to be entertaining. You also knew there would be long stretches where rules did not apply, and you knew ultimately who would take the fall at the end of the match. Now, the action was so fast, and there was really limited selling here. I couldn't even break it down for you. It was fun, though, and it was entertaining. Omega got hit by Phoenix with the drive-by, and then Laredo Kid nearly broke Omega's neck on a Mishinoku driver. But Omega dodged a high-risk maneuver, hit a V-trigger, and then the one-winged angel for the expected win over Laredo Kip. John Moxley came out by himself after the match, and then the Young Bucks stood next to him. They chased Omega and the Good Brothers out of the ring. Not unexpected. It will be a really big six-man match next week. Clearly, they're booking something strong to go up against TakeOver Stand and Deliver. And it might be a scenario where I think we might see the Bucks turn back heel and side with Omega and the Good Brothers. Though again, the books are always heels to me. So I don't necessarily know that it'll be a huge surprise for me. Others, it might actually be a little bit of a twist. I, I did find it interesting, though, that like Ray Phoenix and Pentagon, it felt like they were getting built up. Pentagon finally got that short feud with Cody and some promo time. Phoenix was putting on banger matches, not just on his own, but with Pac. And then they just kind of threw them into a six man here so they could get beat. And I know Laredo Kid took the fall it just feels like they probably could have used three different dudes to kind of put in the spot where you didn't really need to beat Pentagon and Phoenix when it finally feel, felt like they were starting to get some momentum. Uh, earlier in the show, John Moxley faced Cesar Bononi. Uh, Mox cut one of his storyline recap promos that he always does and said, he thought Bononi had a future, but not if he kills him first. Ryan Nemeth and JD Drake were there for some reason. Maybe it makes sense if you watch Dark. Uh, Mox won with a rear naked choke. Benoni, I just have to say, he's really nothing special to me in the ring, and I'm just constantly reminded of why NXT cut him. He has not gotten any better in AEW, but I will say uh, his family, his wife, is going through some shit right now, Uh, so I definitely wish him and all of them the best and certainly hope that she recovers from whatever she is dealing with. And then uh, we can also talk about the main event before we talk about some of the other stuff that happened on the show, Arcade Anarchy, Miro and Kip Sabian against Orange, Cassidy and Chuck. There were real arcade games at ringside this time, but obviously they didn't use or destroy any of those. They just stuck to the fake shit like they used at the start of the feud. Orange Cassidy hit Sabian with a -a whack-a-mole mallet. Miro was dominant for a stretch, uh, but then got double teamed and frequently laid out. They dumped a barricade, two tables, and a fake whack-a-mole on Miro, but Sabian broke the fall. He drop kicked Orange Cassidy through a wooden stand. And I could have sworn that Orange's head like nailed a two by four, the back of his head. But I guess it didn't because he was able to continue in the match. So thank God for that. Uh, Chuck then unzipped the teddy bear and poured out Legos, basically repeating the Thumbtack spot from the Lights Out match, except comedically with Legos. Uh, he ate a power bomb into them and then Orange Cassidy broke the fall. Sabian kicked out of beach break. Then Penelope pulled the referee out to break a fall following an orange punch. She kicked Orange Cassidy low and was about to go after him even more when Chris Statlander returned popped out of the claw machine and drove uh, Penelope with a Falcon Arrow bomb through an air hockey table, which I thought was the moment of the entire match. Like other shit happened that was extreme in nature, but the Chris Statlander move, that Falcon Arrow slam, bomb, whatever you want to call it, that popped me. That was for me the moment of the match. Uh, Orange and Chuck were getting beaten to death by Miro when Sue suddenly pulled up in her van and Trent emerged Miro momentarily took all three guys out and started climbing on the van when Trent stopped him and then speared him through a table. Chuck won by taking Sabian out with a running power slam through a big fake platform. They all hugged after it was over. All of the faces. Uh, So I popped for Statlander and Trent returning. Clearly, Statlander is going to be with this best friends faction. Sue's mom in the van. It's always hysterical. I love that. There were moments that were damn entertaining and wrestling does not always have to be serious. The big moves were fun, but it felt like AEW saw how popular Lights Out was and was desperately trying to go big and do the same thing again. I'd like a break from this type of match and performance for a while. If it was spaced out more, if this happened at some point in late April or May, maybe I wouldn't be as critical of that point about it. But, and it would have resonated a little bit better for me. But it didn't come anywhere near in quality to Lights Out or even the best friend street fight with Santana and Ortiz. So if you're putting this in that context, it's a far third behind both of those. But what I will say for sure is that this completely over-delivered for someone who is really down on this feud. And I beg of AEW, please let this be the last of it. No more Miro and Kip Sabian with the best friends. I don't want it to happen. If you want to do Penelope and Chris Statlander, as Statlander's first match next week, I'll accept that. But anything besides that, you gotta separate these groups and and teams and factions and have them move in different directions. I wanna see Miro do better things. I need something fresh for the best friends. It feels like they've been stuck in this for like six months. Maybe it hasn't been that long. Uh, In WWE, it would probably be that long, but it just feels like it's been going on forever. Please move everyone in different directions. This was entertaining, like I said, totally exceeded expectations. Uh, Christian Cage opened the show in a match with Frankie Kazarian. The AEW wrestlers really tried to get the crowd interested. I didn't feel any heat for it for the first 15 minutes. For me, it was just honestly two bland dudes, despite it being Christian's first single match in seven years. It did pick up near the finish, I will say. Kazarian got a couple of near falls, including after his flux capacitor, which is an avalanche Spanish fly. Christian hit a frog splash and one with kill switch after throwing Kazarian into the post. It ended up being an okay match, but it did start far too slow for me. It did fit with Christian's gimmick though of outworking everyone. It was a work rate match and therefore it did fit within the character. I did see a lot of people praising this match. For me, it was just bland. Most of it was bland. Uh, Darby Allin, for me, had his best video package yet in AEW with one caveat, which we'll get to. Uh, He had a Matt Hardy mask on and talked about how much money Matt may have doesn't buy friends or respect. There were some really cool visuals with Sting throwing cash off of a balcony. The whole thing was really solid and I was about to come on here and give it an A plus for a promo. Until the very end of it, because every Darby video has to end with something large, some large object, a car, uh, a building, whatever the case, being burned to the ground for no reason whatsoever. This time it was a couch. It's a minor gripe. But it's just strange. You don't need to keep burning things, okay? We get he's a vigilante. We get the gimmick. Allow it to stand on its own. The promo, the video package that they did, the vignette was very strong. Let that stand on its own. Jade Cargill cut a taped promo saying she looks and talks and smells, I guess, like money. You could not help but be reminded of Leo Rush pairing with Bobby Lashley when she said that. She is sticking with I am that bitch as the tagline which again, I don't love, but the promo was strong once again, and I am starting to come around on her altogether. Uh, Cody Rhodes faced QT Marshall. This was an unsanctioned exhibition match. Again, I don't really know what that means. It had a referee. There was going to be presumably a one, two, three, but they just kept calling it that. QT Marshall did not get an entrance. The Nightmare family was all at ringside. QT got pissed and punched Arn. He sold it like he had snapped and it was like an accident. He didn't mean to do it. But all three of the trainees, literally just three dudes, students, took out Cody, Dustin Rhodes, and Billy Gunn, along with others. So multiple time champions, somewhat legends, depending on what you think about these guys. They just took them all out. QT busted Arn's arm, which is a tongue twister. Uh, Dustin bladed (laughs) for no reason, really, because he likes to blade. They put Steel Steps on the stage and QT pile drove his tag team partner into them. Then Anthony Agogo, I believe that's how you say his name, but I could be wrong, uh, the boxer that they've been training, punched Cody one time in the gut. QT was about to do a concerto on Cody into the Steel Steps when Red Velvet ran out and stopped him. An interviewer tried to talk to Red Velvet after, and Cargill attacked and dropped her line again. I just thought, honestly, the whole thing was a total mess. I did get a DM slide from Chad Placinka at I Don't Exaggerate. You love factions, but how many factions is too much? Chad, you're right. I love factions. I really do. I truly love them. But AEW has far too many factions and it has far too many groups. It really has far too many wrestlers where it feels the need to shove them into these factions. And I know they have dark and they have dark elevation, but the majority of people that watch AEW are not watching those shows. It is just too much. It's too many people. It's too much to keep straight. It's somewhat too much to remember. But look, I digress. The thing is, let's talk about this faction. They don't have a name yet. Who really gives a shit about these guys? Like... The diehards know some of them because they've been wrestling on Dark. But I don't care about QT Marshall. I don't care about these other dudes. And you can't ultimately put them over Cody and the remainder of the Nightmare Family. You have to have the Nightmare Family win this. So if you do that, then it's very similar in some ways to Retribution, not the the storyline and the ridiculousness of it. But you're going to debut a new faction and have them lose right away, which makes them a C-level faction. You put them on Dark, and sure, they debuted not hot, but on Dynamite. But then you look at them and you're like, well, what do these guys really have to offer? And the answer to me is nothing. I saw some people loving this, but I have to assume those people are just the diehard AEW fans who like every single thing that's on Dynamite and never have a criticism. How is this going to elevate any of the guys in this new faction? And in what world am I supposed to believe that any of this has legitimacy or long-term success with those guys. To me, this was truly horrible. Zero point zero. Scorpio, Sky, and Ethan Page cut a promo together that was kind of cool. Uh, Page was talking about being promised stuff when he signed with AEW, but hardly being on TV. Good point. I thought Sky was separated from SCU so he could succeed in singles, but then he lost his match and turned heel. And now he's in a tag team, randomly with Ethan Page. This is like what WWE does all the time. I mean, we criticize WWE frequently about splitting up tag teams or moving people and then just putting them in a new tag team or starting a storyline and then just changing it out of nowhere. And it seems like what that's what they're doing here. I'll care when it matters. Right now, I don't. There was more tension between Ricky Starks and Brian Cage during a Team Taz promo, with Taz trying to make believe everything is fine in the faction. This definitely has my interest, and I'm glad that they just used that Sting interaction a couple weeks ago as a jumping off point for a storyline and they're not going back to that well. So I do want to see more from Team Taz and I am curious to see, does it fall apart? Because I like Team Taz. I really do actually as a faction. I think they all work really well together, but they don't really need to be a faction. These people can succeed on their own. So I do wonder if one person gets split off, if they remodel it, or if it just changes and they break it up all together. Britt Baker cut a promo about Thunder Rosa needing to be on AEW Dark Elevation to get her wins up because their Lights Out match was unsanctioned. It was a pretty good promo. Really nothing else to say. Karashita and Ty Conti fought Nyla Rose and the Bunny. You know the drill. Seventh quarter hour, double commercial break for the only women's match on the show. Conte had a nice run and hit the t- Ty KO finisher, but Rose broke it up. All the men from HFO and Dark Order brawled at ringside which really distracted from the end of the match. Sheeta and Conti both jumped off the top rope to take all the men out for really no reason whatsoever. Vicky Guerrero distracted the referee. The bunny hit Conti with a kendo stick and one with down the rabbit hole, which is a great name for a finisher, by the way. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was fine. It was typical AEW women's fair. The division has really taken steps forward recently, like Jade Cargill, for example, um, the Statlander stuff in the main event. I really like that with Penelope and obviously Ty Conti and Hikaru are good. And and there's some interesting things happening, but they're still not getting enough television time. It's just, it's really frustrating. And when they do get television time, they just shove a bunch of people all together. And then lastly, the Jurassic Express cut a comedy promo ahead of their match next week with Bear Country. It's a promotional deal for Godzilla versus Kong. The promo was weak. I don't think they're presenting Jungle Boy well, but you know, there has to be a spot for him at this point, And I guess Jurassic Express is that spot. Jurassic Express went from like 16 months ago being one of the most over tag teams in the company to now it's just like, you don't feel any momentum with them whatsoever. So that's a disappointment. But altogether, yes, did I have some criticisms for Dynamite as I usually do? Yeah. Uh, but those first three things I talked about, the Inner Circle segment, the stuff with the Young Bucks and Don Callis, and the main event, you know, despite having some, you know, little issues here and there with it and having them do it this week coming out of lights out, you know, just recently, it was a really good main event that exceeded expectations for a storyline that really wore thin on me. You guys know, I've been very critical of that. So a damn good AEW Dynamite episode. As I've said last couple of weeks, I thought NXT was far stronger. This week, despite it being the go home show for Takeover, AEW was the stronger show between the two. As I said, there is an absolute ton of content coming from the Getting Over Wrestling podcast over the next few days. First up will be NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver Ultimate Preview that will come out at some point in this extended weekend, Friday or Saturday, most likely. Then we will be back on Monday with the special WWE interview episode ahead of WrestleMania. Tuesday will be the WrestleMania 37 episode Ultimate Preview. We'll be back on Thursday with instant analysis of NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver after that two-night show. We'll be back Friday with a go-home show for WrestleMania 37, and then once more on Sunday for WrestleMania 37 Instant Analysis. It's going to be an absolutely crazy week of podcasts. We will try to keep all of them as short as possible. That way you guys can consume them in a singular week but I want you to share them. Tell all of your friends about the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Anyone who is watching TakeOver Stand and Deliver or WrestleMania who maybe hasn't been watching, you know, for the last year or for an extended period, tell them to listen to our ultimate previews. We are going to break down the storylines, the cards, give predictions for both shows. Those are must-listen, as are the instant analysis. You absolutely have to tune in Thursday and Sunday for instant analysis of NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver and WrestleMania 30 set. So with that, I'm going to get out of today's show. I talked about keeping them short. I'll keep today's show short. A reminder to, again, follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. And now that you've listened to today's episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star rating and review. Please, it's WrestleMania season. Every review counts. The Silver King is going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.